Shri Gaurav Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Shri Jiva Goswami Ki Jai, Shri Satsandarbha Ki Jai, Ananta Kultivation Ki Jai. Glorious devotees, thank you for coming to another presentation on Shri Jiva Goswami's Satsandarbhas. Today we'll be discussing the ontology or the metaphysic of uh, the Satsandarbhas or what is the knowable and how do we ascertain the knowable based on the evidence that has uh, been determined to be the most reliable by Jiva and established. To begin today, we're going to go do a quick overview of uh, where we've been uh, before we go forward. So in the beginning of the book, uh, of course, there is the auspicious invocation, Mangalacharna, and in the eighth Anucheta of that eight Anucheta Mangalacharna, Srila Jiva Goswami revealed the subject of his book. In one feature, Sri Krishna exists as pure consciousness without any manifest characteristic and, re and is referred to as Brahman in some portions of the Vedas. In another feature, he expands as the Purusha, who regulates the extrinsic potency Maya by his many plenary portions. In yet another of his principal forms, he is Narayan, resplendent in the spiritual sky by Kunta. May that Sri Krishna, the original, complete, absolute truth, Swayam Bhagavan, bestow love for himself on those who worship his lotus feet in this world. And as noted, this is the seed conception of the Sandarbhas that will be fully unpacked uh, in Sri Jiva Goswami's presentation. We go on in the next Anucheda. Uh, which is a review, again, of the epistemology. Um, in other words, we're searching for knowledge. Now, 
where are we going to go for that knowledge and what is going to be the determination of the validity of that source. So the epistemological validity of the Vedas, Vedas, Itihasas, and Puranas culminating in Srimad Bhagavatam. The topic of epistemology is indispensable to an investigation of truth. For how can we claim to know anything in truth if our means for knowing it be flawed or uncertain? It would remain at best an approximation subject to further review. So before embarking on a deliberation of the core truths of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan, it is crucial that a valid praman or means of valid knowing be ascertained. And now we can see that Jiva is laying the groundwork. Now, what's interesting in our epistemological approach is we're looking for a comprehensive understanding of the nature of being, uh, both internal, what are we as an individual, and what's the what's the nature of the entire cosmic manifestation that we find ourselves in. So we're looking for a, a truly absolute and fully comprehensive source for knowledge, which will address both um, personal revelation as to the nature of our being and even go further than that and provide us with a, a comprehensive understanding of the what we the environment we find ourselves in what is the source of that so first we come to what what are we going to base what are we going to use as the basis for acquiring uh, knowledge and now we'll go on and review as we've already come Jiva provides um, after he determines and explains to us what is the significance of having a valid epistemological basis uh, for an inquiry, he comes to the conclusion that of all the, first of all, he first delivers to us the, the sound understanding that we can't base any knowledge that we receive through our senses and our mind, we can't really consider that wholly reliable uh, because our senses are not absolutely perfect. They are imperfect. Um, and he gives some other flaws there. We make mistakes. We, we have a, uh, we sometimes are predisposed to a particular way of seeing things. And, uh, Sometimes we're just in illusion based on the environment. Uh, this is this is as we know from the philosophy of Krishna consciousness and the philosophy of the self. This is a world of illusion, Maya, and the way one person sees something and another person sees something can be entirely different. So he after comprehensively reviewing and, and introducing us to the whole idea of subdrabhaman, sound vibration that is, doesn't come from a human source, that it actually comes from a, a transcendental source. After he discusses that and, and explains what is the significance of Vedic knowledge being a purusheya or descending, uh, then he gradually step by steps 
builds the case for the fact that if we're going to go to a comprehensive source for knowledge, there's no better source than the Srimad Bhagavatam. He says in his 26th Acheda, G writes there, consequently, while some scholars conclude that other Puranas are dependent upon the Vedas to derive their authority, Srimad Bhagavatam explicitly refutes the possibility that it may be dependent in this way. Rather, the Bhagavatam stands on its own authority. For this reason, it is in fact the highest manifestation of Shruti, the original Veda. And that brings us up to where we're going to enter into today, ontology. So we've determined there has to be a valid means of, of, of knowing, and he's provided us with arguments to the effect that we, we can find a valid means in the Bhagavat Purana. So what are we going to find there? If it is a, a comprehensive source for knowledge about both our selves and everything that we perceive and all that is not perceptible by our senses it if it has that then what's this great literature all about what's knowable what is of value to us about ourselves what's of value in knowledge about the environment and what's of value to us about that which re lies re beyond our direct perception. So today we'll go forward. Jiva's metaphysics for determination of the knowable. And the Sanskrit term for knowable is pramaya. So pramana is the means of knowing and pramaya is that which is knowable. Sri Jiva begins an analysis to determine from a transcognitive perspective, the subject, the means, and the goal of Bhagavat, the Bhagavat Purana, the Pramaya. In doing so, he adopts a unique approach in which the subject, means, and goal are shown to be not logical propositions, but directly cognizized truths from the trans-empirical states of awareness of Sri Sukha and Sri Yas. In our last discussion, uh, we were introduced to the fact that this Bhagavat Purana, it, it has some very distinctive features. And those features are the author of the Purana and the speaker of the Purana, the main speaker of that Purana, both had revol revolutionary experience beyond sensual experience that led to the introduction of this knowledge to human society. And he first went over uh, in brief, uh, Sukadev's unique position. Sukadev was already a man free of the world as far as wanting to exploit the world for some, some purpose, uh, knowing that the world itself uh, was truly a place that, although there were many temporary purposes, it offered no comprehensive solution because. All it had to offer was a repetition of, of, of repeated birth and death. So as far as you can go in material life through sense perception and the utilization of the mind and inference of, of all that you can take in, um, ultimately all that ends in material destruction. So he was a man free of that. He had already come to that, that region 
and he was himself situated in walking samadhi. He was liberated, although walking in the world. So Jiva introduced that, and then he introduced what brought the author of the Bhagavatam to represent represent this Purana as the topmost Praman or evidence regarding spirituality. And that was the author himself, Srila Vyasudev. He had a revelation. He, through the grace of his spiritual master and the mercy of the Supreme Lord himself, was granted access to a transcognition, uh, a state of awareness beyond what the senses and the world around him had to offer. And in that state, and Jiva Goswami goes into that revelation that he experienced through the eyes of the Bhagavatam, and he expands upon that. He unpacks that a little bit for, for us, showing us that he, he saw the Supreme Lord, and we, he saw all of his shaktis, and he saw that this one shakti that comprised the material universe and the other shakti, which is also a conscious potency of his, the jiva, how they interacted and how the material nature was, was working upon the jivas and keeping them in a state of ignorance, avidya. And then he saw the solution to that avidya, whereby the, that ignorance, which ultimately ends in suffering for the living entity, can be eradicated. And therefore, from that samadhi, he gave us a, a, a commentary on his samadhi. It's called a samadhi basha. His commentary is the Srimad Bhagavatam. So we're going to continue where we left off. And we're going to continue here with the 32nd Anucheta. As again, I will remind you that we're not going in depth into the Tattva Sandarbha. We're just taking some high points. Uh, we will finish either this week or next with what's there as far as high points that we're going to carry forward uh, in our exploration of Jiva's Satsandarbhas. Um, so again, I've just pulled out specific things just to give us uh, hints and also a comprehensive understanding of what's presented there um, in summary. And for detail, we can individually study uh, the Sundarbas, and there's many uh, contemporary speakers uh, and other commentaries on the Sundarbas, and you can you can explore those. So, the individual self is distinct, conscious, and subject to self ignorance. The method Abhideya that facilitates ultimate attainment and the stage of completion to be attained, prayojan, as we have defined them, are based on the essential distinction between the supreme self and the individual self. It is precisely this inherent capacity of the living being to be conscious that refutes the contrary opinion that they exist only as an apati of a Brahman, and that liberation is simply the elimination of this body. He continues in the 34th Adhacheta. Although the jiva is purely conscious, Siddhrupa, just like the Supreme Being, it is yet distinct from the Supreme Being. This distinction is clearly shown on the one hand by the words 
Maya is apart from and yet supported by him, the supreme being. Tad apashraya. And on the other hand, by the phrase, the jiva is deluded by Maya. So jiva, again, he's, he's unpacking the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva. So the quotes are from that portion of Bhagavatam that details the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva and the verses that, that speak to that revelation and what Srila Vyasadeva experienced in through self-identification as opposed to observation. That's that's the way it's spoken of revelation. You you know it's you can relate with it on a direct level. So we're going to continue now. And although Sri Jiva Goswami has not provided us with a Sandarbha on Brahman even though he explained in the eighth Anucheda at the beginning of his Sandarbhas, what was the subject, and he elaborated that it's seen differently as Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. Uh, and his personal verse is based on a verse from the Bhagavatam itself, Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yasyanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. So learn transcendentalists approach this non dual absolute uh, differently and they, they aspire to different, different revelation in regards to the absolute and they also aspire to different attainments of spiritual um, perfection in relationship in relationship with those various visions. But we didn't get we're not going to get a Brahman Sandarbha from Jiva, because what is there to say of it? But at this point in his Tattva Sandarbha, he is going to give us some input as to what Brahman isn't. So he's going to point out where a, the Advaitin, Advaita Vod, that it's all one, this idea, Brahman, Brahma T, um, where Sankaracharya has led people astray. And that conception of the Supreme can revert, is commonly referred to, we're, we're most commonly aware of it in the terminology, the Mayavad conception. Or another way to look at it is radical non-dualism. Uh, it's non-dualistic thought, but it's radical in that it lies outside of common sense and up outside of the jurisdiction of the Vedic conclusion. So there is the Brahman conception of the supreme absolute truth that is properly presented in the Vedas and represents an aspect of the Supreme. And there is the radical non-dualistic idea regarding Brahman, which was introduced into society by Sankaracharya um, at the request of Krishna, uh, he made this request of, of Lord Shiva, please you come and you misrepresent the Vedas and then we'll have something to work on and we'll fix that. 
uh, it's a long history and uh, I'm not going to go into it right now, but it was a, ne a necessary step to introduce this radical non-dualistic approach in order to pull people away from the voidist conception put forth by Lord Buddha, who had to introduce that conception in order to pull people away from a misutilization of the Vedic conclusion for their personal sense gratification. So, as we know, Buddha came along and he refuted the Vedas. He said, this is this, this sacrifice is, is not good. Take to, the, take to the path of ahimsa. Don't be in, in, engaged in all these sacrifices for your benefit because you, all you're doing is you're, you're harming, you're, you're, creating, you're creating pain in the world. <laughs> that, from that pain, nothing good can happen. No good can come, ultimately. So people were misusing the Vedas and uh, just wanting the benefits of the sacrifices without seeing the purpose behind them. So along comes Buddha. He stops all the sacrifices. Along comes Sankaracharya to refute that aspect of Buddhism, wherein where we basically took the soul out of, out of spiritual, spiritual life. Because he said, ultimately, it's all nothing, nirvana. You enter into a state of no karma, no nothing. Then Sankaracharya comes along and he says, well, no, we can go back to the Vedas and we can accept them in a way uh, that uh, allows us to see, uh, see, our, see the position of, of our ultimate attainment as Brahman, and there's a distinction between nothing and spiritually something. So he introduced his philosophy. So now Jiva begins his introduction of the faults of the Mayavad or the radical non-dualist conception of spirituality. Essential distinction between the Jiva and Asvara. According to the Advaita Vad doctrine of Sankaracharya, in the very moment, that the one indivisible Brahman, whose nature is pure consciousness, becomes the support of Maya and the embodiment of knowledge as a swara, it simultaneously falls under Maya's influence and is overcome by ignorance as the jiva. Yet, this is illogical. Thus, we can understand that the jiva and the Supreme Lord are distinct entities. However, since their inherent capacities are different, Ishvara as the controller of Maya and the Jiva as subordinate by, subordinated by Maya, the Jiva and the Lord are distinct in their essential natures. So he's pointing out Sankaracharya's philosophy is really, it's a, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical because he's saying, first of all, that Brahman, which has no qualities, it's, it's, it, it has no distinct characteristics. That's what we mean when we refer to the Supreme Absolute as Brahman. Now we understand from the proper understanding, Brahman means no material characteristics, but that's not Sankaracharya's presentation. He is, Brahman means that spiritual substance that has no characteristics, that has that is just, it's it's distinct from matter, 
It's it, it, when you turn matter off, you're left in this spiritual place of Brahman, but it has no characteristics. Now, that's one aspect of the Supreme. It has no material characteristics. So if we just want to take that, that we refer to as the Brahmavad approach or that Brahmavad conception of the Supreme Absolute Truth. So a quick review. We're going to discuss what, does, what is the philosophy of Mayavad at, at its base. The Mayavadis say that radical non-dualists, their conception is Brahman, if you take Brahman and you impose the idea of Maya upon it, and, and, that, and that Maya is of the mode of ignorance, the absence of, of knowledge, then you get the conception of the jiva. And if you in, influence Brahman by knowledge, then you have Ishwara, the controller. So, of course, in this Anocheta, he's saying this makes no sense. If Brahman has no characteristics and everything is coming from Brahman, then how can an aspect of Brahman, Maya, influence it? It just, it, it doesn't make any sense. So the proper understanding is there is the supreme and there is the subordinate living entity, which are both conscious of the nature of Brahman. They both, that's a common characteristic. So he goes on and he's going to expand a little more just so we we kind of get the point. The jiva is not merely the product of an upadi of Brahman. This is what Sankarya says it is. Also, the radical non-dualist position of Sri Sankara cannot explain away this difference between the jiva and the supreme being as no more than a division or a reflection of Brahman into a hierarchy of upadis. Again, their philosophy is if you influence, if Brahman is influenced by Maya, which is its manifestation because Brahman is everything, if, it's if Brahman can influence itself by ignorance, we have the jiva. And if Brahman can influence itself by goodness, then we have what we refer to as a supreme being, Asfara. But how can you, how can either of these upadis, these influences, come upon Brahman in the first place? It makes no sense. Therefore, Shujiva Goswami now introduces inconsistencies in radical non-dualism, Advaitavad, and refutes the idea of pratibimba, reflection, and paricheda, delimination. In other words, these are two ideas that the Advaitins, the radical non-dualists, used to explain their philosophy, that Brahman is reflected into Maya, into the material manifestation, or Brahman is cut up into little pieces, <laughs> and then if you're liberated, moksha means you re-merge into Brahman. You realize that that was just an illusion. So the illusion was either a reflection of Brahman into a manifestation of the energy of Brahman called maya, or we take Brahman and we conceive of Brahman being cut into little pieces, which are jivas, and and therefore, when you realize that it's really not cut up into little pieces, then you're liberated, and, and that's called moksha. So Jiva now goes on in his 37th Anacheda to point out these flaws. If we assume 
that these upadis, these in upadi means that we're we're taking an outside influence and and putting it on something. So if we assume that these upadis are real because of their empiric empirical validity, still because Brahman is not subject to any influence, it cannot be delimited by them. Moreover, Brahman can cast no reflection because it is devoid of attributes, all-pervading and indivisible, without parts. Since Brahman has no attributes, it can have no relation with Upadis. Since it is all-pervading, it cannot be divided into an object and its reflection. And since it is individual and uniform, it cannot be seen. If, however, there are real upadis delimiting Brahman, paricheta, or acting as the medium of its reflection, pratibimba, a person could not get rid of them simply by intuitive knowledge of his essential oneness with the Supreme. And if the radical non-dualists propose that freedom from upadis is due to the influence of the Supreme Entity, referred to by the pronoun tat, then they are in agreement with our view. Then they agree that there has to be a supreme personality which invokes his will upon the material energy, and therefore the ultimate is not Brahman, because now we have an outside influence, which is controlling Brahman. When we go through this section of the Tattva Sandarbha with any kind of, of attention to the detail that Jiva Goswami has given to it, we cannot walk away with anything but a chuckle when we conceive of this Mayavad philosophy. It really, it holds, it does not hold logical water. There's no way that you can take it anywhere because it makes no sense. Brahman cannot be influenced by anything, but you're saying Brahman can be cut up into little pieces or Brahman can reflect itself into, the, into a vast expanse of itself and produce the material experience. And because the radical non-dualist conception of Brahman is it has no characteristics, then that would make the jiva more powerful than Brahman because at least ourselves as jiva, we know we have consciousness. We know we exist. Brahman has no capacity in and of this conception of Brahman, this radical non-dualistic conception of Brahman, to, to arrive at those conclusions. Makes no sense. We'll go on with a little bit more that Jiva reveals. In this way, by basing their ideas on Brahman and avidya, ignorance alone, the Advaitavadis contradict themselves when they say that the one undivided Brahman, pure by virtue of being unadulterated consciousness, and thus altogether free from contact with avidya, is nonetheless polluted by contacting avidya, and thus becomes a jiva. Then again, the Advaitavadis claim that the same Brahman becomes the supreme being, Ishvara, owing to his being the shelter of Maya, the phenomenal world appearance, which is itself a fabrication of the jivas of Vidya. What, what, what do we need to say about what jiva has presented here? The, this encapsulates the fallacy and the, the utter absurdity of Maya, the Mayavad philosophy. And believe me, 
there are thousands upon thousands of followers of Sankaracharya that can sit down and, and utilize the Vedas to put forth this conception of radical non-dualism or Mayavad, and they're very expert, expert at putting forth this conclusion and so expert that the neophyte Vaishnav is warned and cautioned, do not associate with these individuals until you have a firm grounding. You, you cannot, they, they can assail you with their word jugglery of the Vedas in such a way that you yourself will become bewildered by what they put forward. And it can influence your proper understanding as being received as you're receiving in disciplic succession. So we're given all caution, avoid this association. We don't need to discuss this. Well, you'd say, well, why is Jiva taking the time to, 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 to put it out there? He's putting it out there so we can recognize it for what it is. It's, and he does it in the context of giving us the comprehensive understanding from the Bhagavat of what is Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. Proper, proper, the proper understanding, the proper practice, and the proper attainment to be had by serious spiritual inquiry based upon the Srimad Bhagavatam. He goes on in that same anuchayati, and yet that very Brahman supposedly again becomes the jiva due to the influence of as far as maya. These two states, however, are clearly incompatible. The inevitable contradictions implicit in this view are that a vidya is able to infiltrate pure consciousness, Brahman. That vidya knowledge is present within Ishvara, who is nonetheless an upadi upon Brahman, fabricated out of that avidya. And that although Ishvara is the proprietor of vidya, knowledge, he is yet illusory in nature. We should carefully analyze how these and other speculative ideas are simply incoherent. And we can see here also from the Vaishnav point of view, and specifically our Gaudiya Vaishnav point of view, um, how those that take up this understanding of the nature of being, this radical non-dualistic understanding called Mayavad, they are they become offenders at the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord because their understanding is saying it does is incoherent, but not only is it incoherent, but when they conceive of the Supreme Lord, he has no characteristics. He's he can't see, he can't walk, he can't move, he can't create, he can't, he, because why? From their viewpoint, God is simply a, an imposition on Brahman of ignorance in the ultimate issue. Although they conceive of, well, the Ishvara portion, where when we when we come to understanding an Ishvara, we're talking about somebody not influenced by ignorance. Although 
the complete influence that he, of the realm that he exerts himself in is created by ignorance. It's incoherent, as Jivika Swami says. And then he goes on. Srila Vyasadeva's direct experience, his samadhi, it, it doesn't reconcile with this uh, absolute non-distinction that's being spoken of by Sankaracharya. Furthermore, if the absolute oneness of the jivas with Brahman were the actual purport of Srimad Bhagavatam, Sutta Goswami would have reported that what Srila Vyasadeva witnessed in the state of samadhi was how the one becomes divided due to ignorance and how knowledge dispels the suffering caused by this duality. And if Bhagavan's divine play and qualities were unreal, it would contradict what Sri Sukadeva experienced in his heart. Again, Sukadeva Goswami was he was already liberated. He had attained moksha in relationship to him, into the nature of his core being. He understood he was not part and parcel of the material energy. So he was a jivan mukta. Although walking in the world, he was free of the world. Although being in the world, he was aware of his inner self. And despite that complete awareness of his spiritual nature and his nature being completely independent of, the, of what was happening around him in the material realm, irrespective of that profound realization, we would call walking samadhi. Per, irrespective of that, when he heard the nectarine verses from the Bhagavat Purana about the characteristics of the supreme personality of Godhead, he was attracted. Now, those characteristics could not have come from any material thing, or they would not have attracted him. That is the key to our understanding of what the Bhagavat Purana has to offer us. It has to offer us that revelation. Not from a knowledge viewpoint, but from an experiential viewpoint. Because the book itself is revelation. It speaks to what is our essence. It has its own agenda of liberating us from the ignorance that we, that's imposed upon us by the Lord's external energy. Now he goes on to explain Valid interpretation of non-distinction as inconceivable one in distinction. The famous ideal and idea of our Gaudiya tradition is now presented by Jiva Goswami. Therefore, spiritual statements referring to the jivas as non-different from Brahman should be consistently reconciled so as to concur with the conclusions Vyas came to in the state of samadhi. This is accomplished by first removing the apparent contradiction in the jivas being both different and non-different from Brahman. We should understand from the statements teaching non-difference that the jivas are one with Brahman in that both are pure consciousness, chidrupa. Yet, by Brahman's inherent inconceivable potency, which renders possible even the otherwise impossible, the jivas are also innately distinct from Brahman in terms of their being his parts, like the infinitesimal rays of the sun's light. 
achinta beta beta tattva, inconceivably, simultaneously, one with that supreme, absolute, and distinct from it, in that we have our individualized consciousness. So, the proper understanding, inconceivable oneness and distinction. In summary, what follows are the ideas underlying the Vedic statements that speak of the oneness of Brahman and the jivas, employing the analogies of reflection and delimitation. So, in the scriptures, we will not deny that these terms, pratibhimba and praticheta, uh, are there, but this is the way to understand them. And Jiva's giving that way. The Jiva, like Brahman, is by nature purely consciousness. The Jiva, like Brahman, is distinct from phenomena. The Jiva is one of Brahman's energies. The Jiva is eternally dependent on Brahman. The Jiva can never be absolutely one with. Brahman. The jiva is constitutionally an eternal servitor of Brahman. The analogies of reflection and delimitation help us to understand the purely spiritual nature of Brahman. A casual devotion is the Abhideya. Jiva continues in the 44th Anucheta, since the supreme being and the individual being thus have distinct identities, the supreme being is the foundation and support of Maya and the individual being as diluted by her. It is concluded that devotional worship, bhajan, of the supreme being is specifically the means, abhideya, that effectuates the stage of ultimate attainment. And the ultimate completion, Prayojan. Again, remember what Jiva is doing here is he's providing an overview in his Tattva Sandarbha, which is going to be completely elaborated on as he unpacks various spiritual conclusions based upon the Bhagavat Purana, supporting those conclusions by the great Acharyas that came before. Uh, Ramanuj, Madhvacharya, the great, the great thinkers, the great commentators, commentators, specifically Sridhar Swami. And uh, Madhvacharya, of course, had a tremendous library. Uh, and in his various commentaries, he drew from all those great Vaishnavas that came before. And now Jiva is placing Lord Chaitanya's Gaudiya Vaishnavism on he's locating on this on the on the spiritual map. And it so happens that the location of it is the center of the universe of spirituality. In fact, it is that sun which illuminates all the other spiritual conceptions and spiritual texts. From the above discussion discussion, it is definitely concluded that Sri Bhagavan, the original complete person, is the most deserving recipient of supreme transcendental love. Because he instructs all people about their ultimate welfare, because he removes all sorrows, because he is the self, supreme self of everyone, like the sun in relation to its rays, and because he is perfectly endowed with all wonderful qualities, this being the case, it naturally also follows that love for him is the final attainment, prayojan. And now we come to that conclusion that we've touched upon already 
is even an atmarama, someone that's completely self-satisfied in the, in the nature of their spiritual being, will be attracted by this great literature, just as Sukadev was. Srila Vyasadev, knowing that Sukadev could be subdued by Srimad Bhagavatam alone and not by any other means, somehow induced him to hear a few select Bhagavatam verses depicting Sri Krishna's all exceeding qualities. In this way, he caused Sukadev's heart to become captivated, and later he taught him the entire narrative. This episode speaks of the supreme glory of Srimad Bhagavatam. If it, can, if it can attract people of the caliber of a Sukadev Goswami, these are the, these are the topmost transcendentalists that walk in human society amongst us. If it can attract those individuals, what's the question? Who can question its glory? Consequently, one should thoroughly investigate the essential truth, tatparya, of Srimad Bhagavatam, that is in perfect accordance with the heart of its speaker and not otherwise. By implication, all explanations that do not accord with the speaker's heart simply lead one astray from the proper conclusion. And we know that the speaker's heart, Sukadev's true feelings regarding the Bhagavatam are, are fully expressed in the 10th canto. So much so that uh, uh, Maharaj Parikshit's uh, uh, son was ready uh, in the wings to immediately begin a kirtan if Sukadev was so much overwhelmed in praying for Krishna through the narration which he was sharing with Maharaj Parikshit. So when the speakers, if we know, if we can truly enter into the mystery of the speaker's heart, uh, as we can <clears throat> uh, through his presentation of the Lord's most intimate pastimes with his most... Um, with his topmost associates, uh, if we see everything in the light of that, then our understanding of the Bhagavatam will be, will be correct, will be proper, and will be fully beneficial to us. Now, Jiva Goswami will go on. And we will um, finish up our presentation on the Tatva Sundarbha uh, and do a, an overview, comprehensive overview in the, in the next class. But he's going to, he, he's, he's taken us there through, through what's provided in the Bhagavatam by a comparison of the revelation of Srila Vyasadev, the author, and Srila Sukadev, the speaker. So they had, the, the Bhagavatam is coming forth from their personal revelation. Now, how are we, who don't have yet that revelation, um, to benefit from the Bhagavatam and how are we to enter into the mysteries of Sambandha from our vantage point? So going forward, Jiva Goswami is going to first give us a viewpoint of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan in terms of that which we are familiar with, ourself, the nature of what we can observe in ourselves. So he, he goes first there through observing the individual self. Then he takes it further. And now we can also understand the significance of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan by observing 
what is in the environment around us. And the environment around us constitutes all those items presented in the Bhagavatam, creation, sub-creation, maintenance, destruction, liberation, all sheltered under the Supreme Ashraya, uh, Bhagavan. So he's going to take both, he's going to give us a perspective of how we can look at the look at acquiring this knowledge uh, both by looking at our looking at our own situation and then looking out to the world through the eyes of the Bhagavatam. And the Bhagavatam is a major Purana, so it has 10 major subjects. And he's going to review those with us and then. He's going to conclude his Tatva Sandarbha there and give us entrance into these, these conceptions of spiritual reality, um, Paramatma, Bhagavan, and then Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. So I'll end there. And thank you for your kind association. If anybody has a question. I will try to answer or I will thank you so much. Manchakalpadubhishcha, Kripasimadevicha, Paditanam, Pabadibyo, Vaishnavijinamo Namaha.